The XTC Podcast. What do you call that noise? What do you say? Solo from Life Begins at the Hub, as interpreted first by seven-year-old Lucas and second by Ecstatic, who were recorded in Swindon at the Meeting Place Fan Gathering in 2005. My name is Mark Fisher, and I'm delighted to welcome you to an episode of What Do You Call That Noise, the XDC podcast, dedicated to cover bands, in particular Ecstatic, who, between 2002 and 2005, performed eight gigs and got through 61 XDC songs, which is pretty amazing, and uh, sowing the seeds of the fuzzy warblers and now fossil fools in the process. Today, we're reuniting all four members, Dan Barrow, Ed Percival, Adrian Ogden, and Mick Casey, who will introduce themselves in a minute. Um, also with me today is David White. Um, hello, David. Hi, Mark. David is my in-house cover band expert, having written the chapter in What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC Discovery book on that subject, and having once played in an XTC cover band himself. Are you feeling like an expert, David? Uh, not on the strength of one gig in 1992, Mark, no. I, I well, wouldn't say that. I'll, t- I'll treat you like an expert anyway. Um, <laughs> we'll meet the band in a moment, but first a thank you to the generous supporters on Patreon, who include Pink Things, Humble Daisies and Knights in China, in Karma, who make this podcast possible. I'll name check the Knights in Shining Karma towards the end of this episode, but right now I'd like to give a shout out to one of them, uh, Kevin Murray, and his blog in particular, which is called RoxyMusicSongs.com, which features his song-by-song analysis of the lyrics and music of Roxy Music, uh, which is well worth checking out. Um, Now for a new feature on the XTC podcast called Playground. After last month's Young Generation Takeover, featuring fans in their 20s, we're going to start hearing from the band's very youngest fans. Today, it's the turn of Elsie and Lucas, who are the talented children of Stephen Jackson. Hello, what's your name? Elsie. And how old are you, Elsie? Five. And... You like the song, what song do you like? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Well, all the people out there will know that song as since is working overtime. But there's two versions, isn't there? There's two versions of it, of that song. Can you tell them, everyone what they're like? How are they different, those two versions that you like? Uh, there's a girl one and a boy one. And the girl one is sung by somebody called Mandy Moore. And the boy one is actually by XTC. So I think everyone out there, and you'll probably polarise opinions here, which version do you like best? The boy one, which is XTC, or the girl one, which is Mandy Moore? Because you like them both, because often we play them in the car and we listen to them repeatedly 20 times in a row sometimes and Daddy wants to drive into a ditch, doesn't he? Because it's on so long. OK, can you tell... uh, the XTC fans, which one you like best and why? 
The boy one or the girl one? The girl one. Do you? Well, a lot of people will be turning off now. Why do you like the girl one more? I said the boy one. You said the boy one? You mean the boy Which one? Boys, boys or girls? Boys. OK, and why do you like the boy one more? Uh, what do you like about it most? Because it's XTC. Oh, right, so that's a good enough reason. And I really... And, I, and it's better than um, the, the girl version. OK, thank you for talking to me today. See you later. See you later! So, who are you? Lucas. And how old are you, Lucas? Seven. And what do you like about XTC? Uh, it's, ve it's very good. I like all the instruments that they play and it's just my favourite band. And can you name the members of the band? Colin Malden, um, Terry Chambers, um, Dave... Uh... Dave, forgettable name. Right, go on. <laughs> um, um, Auntie pa uh, Andy Partridge. Auntie Partridge, your favourite aunt. And okay. Andy Partridge. And, uh, and why, who's your favourite band member? Who do you like the best? Terry Chambers. And why do you like Terry Chambers? Because he plays the drums and that's what I like. <laughs> do get in touch if you know of young fans who'd like to contribute to future episodes. Uh, Dan, Ed, Adrian and Mick, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourselves and tell us what you thought of that fine work by Lucas at the start of the episode. Uh, Dan, let's start with you first. Hi, everyone. Um, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for um, inviting us on, actually, Mark. It's a really lovely opportunity to just see each other and um, say hi. Uh, I'm Dan Barrow. I'm the, um, well, the roles were interchangeable, but I was guitarist, singer, sometime bass player, occasional drummer with uh, Ecstatic. I know firsthand how hard that solo is to get right. I never did, I don't think. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's very impressive. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. We'll come back to you in a minute. Um, uh, Ed, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself. I'm Ed Percival. I am sometime uh, singer, guitarist, bass player, never drummer, uh, be impersonator uh, with the ecstatic. Uh, I have played that solo badly with Fossil Fools, but uh, yes, and I can attest, it's a really difficult solo to do. <laughs> Um, Adrian, uh, Lucas has also played Making Plans for Nigel, so maybe you could comment on the, on, on the difficulty of uh, the, the drums for Making Plans for Nigel and introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Adrian. I'm the drummer and occasional vocal infiltrator. Yeah, the drums on that actually pretty straightforward to play. Uh, the odd thing is you count the one where someone would normally count the four, but of course, if you're a seven-year-old coming to that for the first time, you're, you're not going to know that. It, you're just going to take it as it was. And, Actually, frankly, I did too, which is something about the mentality of drummers. It's the difficulty keeping it going, though, through for, for, for four minutes. No, I was pretty natural with that. OK. <laughs> okay. I think I was, I, I was very much the band's natural Terry Chambers. <laughs> I, I, I do remember Newton, not with us, but a subsequent uh, thing when uh, Terry, our Fossil Fools drummer, hit into the Making Plans for Nigel, and I realised I'd broken the guitar string and didn't have a spare guitar, so I restrung the guitar while he's going... <laughs> And he was knackered by it. It takes about five minutes to change the string on a guitar. And he was absolutely knackered by the end of this thing. So, anyway, I digress. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, last but not least, Mick. Uh, hello. Um, hello. Hello. Uh, so, yes, I am Michael Mick. Um, I was the guitar player with Ecstatic, um, doing all the nice fiddly bits in the background that Mr. Gregory would have um, taken care of, but nowhere near. And it. harmonica. Uh, oh, yeah, and some bad harmonica playing. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, it was fun. I, I, I think I had the best role because I didn't have to worry about swapping to bass, which I don't like, and I didn't have to certainly not play the drums. Um, and I got to do all the kind of, all the nice intricate kind of fiddly parts that I really kind of like playing. So that was my, my role in the band. It was great. Thank you very much. Um, great to, to have you all on the show. I'm really delighted to have uh, so many um, interesting people and to be able to bring you all back together again. That's fantastic. Um, Dan, you were the one who came up with the idea. How how did you come up with the idea and, and, and what happened next? I, I was, the story is, I was doing, um, I was a professional drummer and uh, I'd been on tour for around Europe and I then was just picking up pieces, picking up gigs wherever I could. And um, I was also doing a bit of singing as uh, Elwood in the, the Briefcase Blues Brothers or, or a, a Blues Brothers tribute. That was the one, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Adrian. Yeah, and um, I we, we were, I was in Swansea, and it was it would have been just after the uh, New York attacks, thereabouts, and I found something very sort of incongruous and quite shocking about playing these songs, these Blues Brothers songs, to this to this drunken Welsh crowd, uh, in the wake of what appeared to be like the end of days. You know, it was just very very strange thing, and people were either just kind of ignoring it or trying to forget about it. Very strange atmosphere. And I was driving back from Swansea to, back to London, where I lived at the time. And of course, that's the M4. So I was driving down the M4, thinking about this gig and just thinking about life in general, you know, reflecting. And um, I had Nonsuch playing on the, uh, on the car cassette player. And it was that time I actually drove past Swindon. And I just had this idea popped into my head that I was going to come back to Swindon with a band doing XTC cover songs and try and sell out a venue in Swindon. That was the kind of the sudden thing that just popped into my head. So um, when I go back to London, I think I logged on to the, uh, the XTC forums and, and put the call out to see who would, um, who would, who would pick up. And, uh, I, don't, I don't think yeah. it was the forum at that point. Was, was it, it not? It was Chalk Hill's mailing list. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was a, there was an email that went round, wasn't there? That's right, because this that's this right. this this predates the forum by several years, I think. Maybe maybe a year or so. It's quite yeah. It's all done by email, I think, in those days, Chalk Hills. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. I remember the email the sort of round robin email system that we had going. Dan, on the Ecstatic website, which I should highlight because there's lots of interesting stuff to read and hear on that, and if, if people are looking for it, it's x-static.com, I think. Dot org. Dot um, org, is it? And um, you describe this whole venture as an experimental project. What, what was experimental about having a, a cover band? I think it's because I, no one I knew liked XTC or barely even heard of them. So it just seemed like a bit of a fool, foolish mission to try and make a tribute band to a band that no one had heard of. I mean, at that point, I didn't know really how many XTC fans were actually out there. And that was one of the biggest surprises of, of what we did is the number of people who came out and saw us um, was, 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 was amazing. But at the time, I just thought it was a bit of a foolish endeavour that felt like it might be a bit of fun seeing as, you know, we're about to go into the war in Iraq and all that. So I thought, 
let's do something pointless. <laughs> and and I'm just kind of thinking, the thing about what you're saying and the idea of it being experimental is that unlike other cover bands, you were not necessarily obliged to be one thing or another because expectations were different than if, you know, if you were doing a Blues Brothers thing, people expect a certain sort of show, but you have you had a sort of flexibility that maybe you wouldn't have had with that. But we also had an incredible range of material to choose from as well, which, you know, which... which was part of our main conversation for the following years. It's like, which songs were we going to do? You know, we had many debates about it um, because you've got such a wealth of, of of stuff. You've got the early, very high energy, high octane stuff. You've got the later stuff, which is more reflective, more orchestral, you know, better, different arrangements. It was uh, a, a rich tapestry to uh, sample from. I think there was always this kind of debate as to, are we a tribute band? Are we a covers band? What What's going on here? And I think... Uh, I never saw what we were doing as a tr- as a tribute act, you know, in inverted commas, you know, wearing you know, anti-partridge masks or whatever it might take. Um, because what we weren't doing necessarily was always copying the songs as they were. You know, and we, we did on certain occasions, you know, something like, um, you know, and anything off Black Sea, we did it the way it came off Black Sea because that's, you know, that's the way you do it. Um, but you know, other material. I, mean, I remember at various times, someone, you, Dan, you sort of said, Oh, let's do um, uh, Statue of Liberty and let's just slow it down and turn it into an acoustic song. And I went, No, that's never going to work. And then we tried it and went, Oh, actually, it really works really well. And I think the idea of adapting some of those songs um, and not doing them the way that HTC would have done them, we're just doing something else. Uh, I think I th- that was, I that's th- almost a necessity with the later material where if you're talking about having, for instance, Great Fire, you can't perform it with a string quartet, then, you know, you do need to adapt. True, true, yeah. But I mean, I think I think that was, but that was definitely the joy of it for me was the idea that yeah, yeah, we we could do it, you know, three you know three guitars and drums, or we could do something different. And sometimes we would take it and just do something a little bit different, and it would it would kind of catch the audience out a little bit, and it it made us think about the songs a bit more, made us work a bit harder as well. And I think I really like that. And so coming back to the idea of you know, were we a tribute band? No, I don't think we were. I think we were a an HCC covers band. We like to cover the songs, you know, pay pay tribute, I'm using the word now, to the songs. 
but it wasn't it wasn't a it, it wasn't a copy act if you understand what I mean. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely though it, it was it was a fan band. We are we're all lovers of the music, and you have to, and it was just a lovely, glorious opportunity to crawl inside the songs, which you just didn't get just listening to. It. And I've listened to them, but you know, since I, I fell in love with them from English settlement, but it's it's each time each time you with different instrument you're crawling inside the song and listening it really intently to part of it and just discovering a whole new set of richness and I know no other band like XTC which is just scratch date every little part and you've got something which is wonderful and rich and and magnificent and quite frankly I was I was spending my time being Noddy Holder so I was doing the full tribute thing with the mirrored hat thing and XTC doesn't have a look XTC is you know four blokes from Swindon and that's also the response that people in the audience were having and 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 the com- comedians podcast that uh, uh, we, we did very recently, Stuart Lee, Kevin Eldon, these people uh, were saying uh, how how uh, the opportunity to listen into these songs being played live made them appreciate just exactly what was going on on the, on the records as well. So it was not just you digging in as in all the rehearsals and everything you had to do, but actually the the, the effect of hearing these songs live is different from, 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 from listening to the records. What do you call that noise? They were absolutely fantastic nights. And it actually really changed the way I thought about the band because I'd always, I had remembered them as this um, post-punk uh, band crossed with a Beatles, Beatles-type 60s um, influences. And then when you, when you saw um, Ecstatics doing it, you realised the complexity of it. There's sort of prog elements in there. All kinds of really amazing things going on. I think they were fantastic um, ambassadors for the band. What do you call that noise? I sort of went down the ecstatic uh, rabbit rabbit hole this uh, this week, and um, we've all been sharing videos of each other. And um, actually, I just literally just watched that gig that Stuart Lee was at. It was mental, it, absolute mental gig. And jumping around, it just took me right back. Sorry, um, Adrian, for interrupting. Yeah, I was going to say that part of the thing about the uh, the freedom of not being a covers act rather than a tribute act. I mean, a tribute act, people are pack it, it's all packaged to be exactly what people know so they just have a good time and relax to it. This was more challenging because they wouldn't know it. That, that gave us some freedom to experiment. On the other hand, the, the people who were coming were going to be the hyper-obsessives anyway. So was... you're, you're not going to get so many coming to find the authentic XTC experience, whereas you might with Bjorn Again or um, the Bootleg Beetle. Yeah, exactly right. They were trying to find out what the experience was. Yeah. <laughs> but it, 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 it's interesting. I, I remember a couple of gigs, certainly at gig number one at the Hope and Anchor, and then on other gigs, uh, not in Swindon, but um, at Dublin Castle. Um, I remember talking to people after the gig and they were going who are you and I explained who we were and said and they were people who had no idea they were just in the bar or were just you know going out for a night out going to watch a band and they kind of liked it but they weren't there because they were there to watch an XCC covers band they were there because they go out to watch bands and they were I was getting feedback from them saying you know how much they really liked it and oh isn't that really cool so yes, we we were you know we we had the diehards in the audience obviously, but you know the people who weren't there for that reason seemed to chime with it as well. And if you've ever looked at that um, the Hoopanenko video and you look at the heads in the crowd, half of them don't know what's going on, which is really kind of funny. Um, but you know, but they're kind of you know they're watching it and they go, "This is kind of cool." Who 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 what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, who's, who's the bloke with the bow tie at the front? Looks like a a, a, a snooker player. 
I've got no idea. I've never seen any XTC thing ever since. But just <laughs> I think he was one of the guys around. that was there for me at the Terry Pratchett fandom. Oh, right. <laughs> there were a few there at that gig and one or two at later gigs as well. Well, my, my mate couldn't get in. He was trying to watch through the glass from the stairs because it was absolutely round. And I've no idea how we... How, because this is pre-Facebook, pre-everything, I've no idea how we got an audience for the first gig. Dan probably had a better idea. It, it was a surprise, wasn't it? Do you remember we when we booked that gig, we did not know, did we? We had no idea if we'd be playing to an empty room or not. And... It was an incredible surprise when people were actually queuing up outside, coming down the stairs and queuing up outside. Um, yeah, I think, we, I think we were all quite surprised, weren't we, guys? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> what really freaked me out was pe- people coming up and asking me what was ge- what what was going to be on the set tonight, and I was trying to explain we were an XTC tribute, and they were saying, yeah, we know, we saw you, we saw your picture on the uh, <laughs> forum. I was like, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was unexpected. Dan, was it just uh, fortuitous that the... The, the 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 members of the uh, Chalk Hills mailing list happened to be talented enough to play XTC songs, or was there a a, a rigorous uh, audition process that you went through to 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 whittle down it to to the to the members you ended up with? Yeah, thousands applied, and we had to whittle it down to four. Actually, no, the um, it, <laughs> it was a search, wasn't it? I can't remember the. I think Ed was the first person who got in touch and. Um, we met uh, for our first rehearsal, first run through um, in um, on in Holloway near Holloway. But there was uh, no, on, we, we. I mean, after two or three, I remember the first time we got together. There was about seven people in the room. Was there? Well, there was. There was. We there had was, a different bass player. Was it? Was it? Crawford. Was it Crawford. Crawford. Crawford yes. And Steve and and the three of us, not Abe, because. Down no. in, so there was five of us. Five. That's right. Yeah, and I, was, of course, was the drummer. Um, but, you know, I was an absolute hankering, an itch to get out from the drums and do my very best Andy Partridge, you know, an absolute hero of mine. Um, and as it turned out, uh, Crawford, the bass player, uh, decided he couldn't commit, didn't he? I think he just thought he was too busy. I used, uh, I conveniently used Crawford's departure as a kind of launching pad to go, well, I'm going to get another drummer in then. <laughs> to me, it felt like it was almost immediate. As soon as you got behind the drum, it got out from behind the drum kit, got my, my SG, went, here's the solos from Books of Burning. Yeah. You know, this last chance I ever get to sing in this band, you know, that's, uh, uh, but you know, it's, the, it's that sort of vim and vigor and things that, frankly, is somebody considerably older than, uh, than Dan. I mean, we had opposite ends of the spectrum, but Dan is a natural, looking back at the videos, we had this partridge-esque di- dynamism from the mid, from the centre of the stage, and you can't, you can't ignore it, you know, Mick is brilliant, player, drum, uh, is a brilliant drummer, but Dan is just up front and sort of grabbing the attention and shaking at it, and that's, that really what lifts the band away from being quite, you know, quite passive people, suddenly this, you know, big all of energy in the, in the middle, and that's that's the you know he he led the he started the band he led the band, and that's and that's that energy brought it all forward. So it's been very very generous there. I think that's very kind. It's really nice of you to say, but I, for me, it's very much for people for for people working as a powerhouse. You know, I I I, I agree with everybody. I, I um yes, we were then, but um, I, I I just watched that gig as well, just you know, because I had a spare hour. And um, apart from the, all the other things that struck me about it, yeah, there was some really good frontmanship going on. And I think it 
And it wasn't it wasn't kind of bravado and braggart, you know. It was it, it was really good communication with the audience, and it brought them in. And I, yeah, I, I thought I thought I, we, it wouldn't have been the same band without that um, connection with the audience. And mainly, it came from you, and I thought that was a good thing. Well, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get me. <laughs> Um, but of course, my biggest problem, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of my limitations in terms of myself as a singer, uh, which I really struggle with my singing. And then when I listen back to these gigs, I'm very hypercritical and I just often have to turn it off because I'm just, it was so loud. Do you remember how loud it was? So when you listen back onto tape, you go, oh, I'm consistently out of tune there. But you had no way of knowing that, you know, when you were fully plugged in and just, just charging through... Uh, you know, science friction or whatever, uh, you just sort of strapped in and just held on for your life and charged through. I, I think it, you're quite right. There was never any monitoring. Certainly the, the things we've got on video, there's no monitoring. I'm consistently singing flat. You're consistently singing, singing somewhere. Nick, <laughs> Nick actually sang, sings in tune. Yeah. When you put the harmonies together, they really fucking clash. And at almost every point, it's, it's sort of, oh, my God, how is, how is this happening? But then, you know, is Andy Partridge the greatest singer in the world? I think there's an authenticity in, you know, the, the sound. And presumably it was fucking loud for the audience as well. So they're just, they're just seeing this wall of noise. And what is, I'm really struck by, is just how tight the band is and the tra transitions. And, and I suppose, I'm sure that came from kind of Dan's musical direction, that you'd, you'd get to the end of the song and hit a chord and then go straight into the next one. And the incredible tightness from the first gig, which was, there weren't spaces apart from changeover guitar for a bass. It was bash, 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 bash. And I think that, no, that's, that's brilliant, brilliant. And kept that energy going. I love a tight transition. We had, we had, we had some great transitions. We had one between, was it mechanic dancing and this is pop? Am I right? Uh, yes, I think it just comes in into the gossip. And you, you, over which he said, uh, yes, and, and straight into the other. And yeah, that was bah! a great transition. I think we books are burning into dance band. I think we did work, work well. I think life begins at the hop into dance band was an amazing oh, yeah. one. That that was yeah. spot on. And that, but no, no, the best one, the best one, without doubt, goes back to the acoustic gig. And this is Adrian when we went from something I can't remember into another satellite. Humble Daisy. Anybody Humble, Humble Daisy, Daisy into another satellite. I just watched it earlier, yeah. What a transition. Go, go, bit faster, AIDS, bit faster. <laughs> I think we got that one right once, and thankfully it was the gig. <laughs> but actually, that, that, that was a, that's a testament to, you know, um, the work that, you know, Adrian Covier is, right? Um, to the work that Adrian put in on the band, which was like phenomenal, because a lot of the time, you know, you don't, no one notices the drummer ever. Um, and once again, you know, we wouldn't have been as punchy and as tight in the rock setting if it weren't for the work that Adrian was doing. And I think a lot of people didn't really kind of notice it, weren't really paying much attention. But I was, I was kind of every time I was going, did he just do that? That's, that, that's, that's exactly right, you know. Fast hands, and, um, fast hands. <laughs> I, I. I know from first, I mean, per first-hand experience, I know how annoying it is being a drummer in a band with me. It, 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 I've, <laughs> I've driven people up the wall and I've got myself kicked out of bands because I've basically gone to the drummer. No, it's like this. And Adrian, very, very patient with me on that school. You know, if I was trying to communicate something to him, he'd let me sit down and show him, you know. 
Um, well, Dan, Dan was a better drummer than me, let's face it. <laughs> Probably still is. Adrian, and am I right in thinking that you are the, of, of everybody, you're the last one to discover XDC, that you weren't a, a, a long-term XDC fan when you joined? Um, I was becoming a fan at the time, I guess. I mean, I, mean, I remember the singles when, when they were actually in the charts, but I didn't really pick up on them again until I think it was about 96. I picked up on Skylarking about 10 years after the fact. I was going through things. I, I I had a big thing about progressive rock in my early days, and I really appreciated musicianship and <laughs> complicated. Bands. And then I had a few albums that hit me, and I started appreciating the craft of songwriting again. And and Skylarking was one of the ones that pointed me that way. And 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 so in the process of, re- I'm just imagining if if you knew the the material less well than the others, whether whether you became more of a fan in the process of rehearsing. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I learned a lot from it. I only discovered early XTC through the band. So I came in as English Settlement and beyond, and and I loved all the complex and the proggy sort of side of XTC. And I, I don't I've, I don't think I owned the first two albums at all. And I don't think, uh, Drums and the Wires barely knew, knew anything. And, and even Black yeah. Sea, I think I had, but I hadn't really listened to. I was all going forward. And, and I mean, particularly uh, uh, Dan and Mick was also, oh, Beat Town. I'm going, what the fuck's Beat Town? I've never heard of this song. And, and it, you get dragged into this thing. And, and yes, we had some uh, long disputes over things over there. And I would be always trying to drag the stuff in the drag and be dragged back. Oh, no, helicopter. Oh, no, helicopter. Okay. And, and I'd listen to this stuff. And now, of course, I love that stuff. And, and you, because you get used to it and you, you, you fall in love with it and you fall in love with the performance of it. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, looking back to it, absolutely right to concentrate largely on the, the, the material from their live years because that's what we did best. And we were, you know, a ter- we were terrific. You know, you listen back and it's, it is absolutely tight. And you see every little nuances of the, of the, uh, the, the drums and the, the rhythm section is all locked together. And, and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, no, I'm very proud to hear that stuff because we also um, we also had the ability to go back and listen to the live recordings and look at the live videos. I would I would obsess over watching Andy Partridge's fingers, you know, when he was playing at the Rock Palast gig, trying to get all those little bits in. I was absolutely fanatically wanted to get it right. My success rate at gigs was probably about I don't know. I mean, I was making mistakes all over the shop, but I think I got it right more than I got it wrong. Possibly, I think you got the spirit of it right all the time, and that and that's much more important. It's, if you if you agonise about about the stuff, I'm, I'm gonna watch Mick's fingers because he can Mick can hear a chord and then it plays it and he's know all the stuff. And he winces when I play the wrong note or something. But he, you can hear that. <laughs> Did stuff. I? Having done it, having done, <laughs> having done, uh, I still haven't forgiven that. The 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 uh, but trying to do it in latter years with bands that are not so musical, you really notice the difference. And it becomes, you know, I'm I'm a lazy musician. I will try and do something which if it sounds like the right chord and you're just doing it. That's brilliant. And you, now you, you look at Facebook and there are thousands of videos of people sitting down and playing. Here's, here's me playing Nights in Shining Karma. And wow, that's brilliant. And there's somebody playing every other part and everything. And, they, and they're getting absolutely right. But they're not going out and doing it as a band. And that was the difference. Just getting out and fucking playing it was a, a huge thing. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud that, that we did it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed uh, the, the 1992 gig. You know, I thought, you know, they didn't seem to be an XTC tribute band and they needed to be, as Dan says, get this, this music out and played. It's wonderful. 
in the early 2000s, where you know, when you guys had your sort of genesis as as a um, XTC tribute band, there was XTC were still they had fizzled out, but they had two albums of relatively fresh material that had uh, been released in the years before, but they were really quite quiet on the sort of landscape and there wasn't any, you know, this is pre-social media. It was before tutorial videos on uh, YouTube. Um, it it really was a very different uh, landscape. So, you know, you would be hard-pressed to, to find that many XTC fans at all, let alone any, uh, let alone any who were going to form tribute bands, uh, even, even in, you know, Swindon, south of England. Uh, it would have been just as surprising uh, to find them in, in America or somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm I'm just thinking about that transition thing that you were talking about because Dan, and and Dan, exam what, what what you were saying about watching Rock Palace, whatever on on you on whatever it wasn't even YouTube, was it? <laughs> where, where, yeah, was it? Was it was a VHS copy bouncing around the band? Yeah. However, you managed to do that. But um, one of the things about XDC Live when they were a live band is that they did make those really fast transitions from song to song, and that was. You know that energy was part of the that that pre-Ed era, the pre-English or up to English settlement, just about um, era. They were a, a, a forceful uh, live band. Did it, did any of you see them live? No, I I had tickets for the cancel tour. I t- I had tickets for the Hammersmith Odeon. Uh, I remember that, and uh, and it got cancelled because of the stage fright thing. Closest I got. I've seen Gregory live. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed how many of my friends say, oh, yeah, I saw XTC Live. And I'm going, you bastard, you've seen this thing. You've seen this band that I love and would have loved to have seen, seen live. I think Terry in, in, in Fossil Falls saw, saw them live in a previous Hammersmith Odeon game. But a number of people go, oh, yeah, I shared a dentist, dentist waiting room with Andy Partridge, or I did this. I've never met Andy Partridge. I have met, <laughs> I've seen every member of XT, I've met every member of XTC apart from Andy Partridge, uh, and I've seen everybody apart from Andy Ray Lyle. I was six when they stopped touring, so sorry. And I'm, and I'm almost as old as the band. Yeah. <laughs> I found one of my friends in Pratchett fan, fandom had actually seen them when they were the Helium kids. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. We've already mentioned Stuart Lee, Kevin Eldon, Paul Putner, all of these people who, who, who were fans in the audience, but you also had... Uh, fans amongst um, very close members of the XDC fr- uh, fraternity turning up and, and, at the gigs and, and wishing you well as well. I mean that that that, that must have been well. Say who they were and 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 say what it felt like. Well, we uh, this, this, the first Swindon gig. So once again, a bit like Hope and Ankle. Let's what's what's what we do for the second gig. It's got to go for Swindon. We had this bar riffs. I don't know where the connection came with with riffs. Andy, it was run by an ex musician. And so we, we knew about riffs and to go there. We went along to it and it's a tiny, tiny little pub. And at the time it had a wall between two bars. So you're in something which is not much bigger than a large living room. And we, we're crammed into this thing. And and, uh, and uh, Andy said, well, if you get you know, a crowd by uh, eight o'clock, you'll be all right. And by six o'clock, it's absolutely rammed. And there's people in the next room bar watching on a television screen because they can't get into the space. And then... Dan, Dan comes out and says, oh, you, oh, let me guess what, who's, 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 who's got, I've just been talking to Andy Partridge's dad on the phone. And then, then we get a couple of people turn up and it's Colin Moulding's wife and his children, uh, 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 Lee and, and Joe's his, his children. And apparently uh, 
you know, Colin has dropped them off in the car and driven off again. <laughs> and we're going, oh, Christ. And we, we, we lived in a dream that we might meet these people and they never yeah. never interacted. They would, you know, they would be a tri- frustrating. There would be a tribute being in America and, and Andy and, and uh, Colin would record an introduction saying, hello, guys, and everything else. And we could never get any interaction <laughs> at all with them. And it was so frustrating. It's like we're on your doorstep. We're coming and playing in your, in your town. We have brought the show to you guys. And then <laughs> Colin Moulding would drop off the family 50 yards down the road so he wouldn't get spotted. Andy Bartridge walked past the door of the, the Tory to pick up a curry while we're playing with XTC posters <laughs> in the window. And it. I sent them. I sent them uh, CDs of every gig that we did, you know, with a set list and everything, and a letter saying thanks for the music, all that kind of thing. Just trying to get some kind of interaction going. Uh, Sadly, not. (laughs) Well, and I have to thank uh, Mark for continually shoehorning either ecstatic or fossil falls into any interview with them in the hope of some sort of thing (laughs) catching, but it never ever never ever does. Andy is always full of praise for the Americans. I was actually looking back through some of our old emails and apparently there was a message saying at some point, I think it was Yui had made sure that Andy did hear some of the recordings and he had commented positively on them. Oh, I've never heard that. I mean, Yui is going on his videotape of the Victoria gig, which has vanished without either. We never ever saw that. And that was a goodie. You know, I mean, every gig was great. That thing about the riffs was what happened was the, the phone went at the pub after our sound check and it was, oh, it's for you. And... Um, so I said, hello, this is Dan. He goes, oh, are you the XTC tribute band that's in the paper? Is it Andy Partridge's dad? And he said to me, he's saying to me, I just want to wish you best of luck. I think what you're doing is fantastic. I've tried to persuade Andy to come down, but he won't be having any of it. And I've told him I'm very disappointed in him. <laughs> he's a naughty boy. <laughs> and, and, and then his daughter Holly turns up. She's so at half time. She just comes up to you were brilliant. And by the way, I'm Holly Partridge. We were trying to go up to do the uh, bit in uh, Playground and she wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but she did do it from the floor. I remember that. I, I, I was, I was got, to the, got to the bit where her bit was in and she was going, yeah, it's my bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it, it's lovely to, you know, to get to, to meet both you and, and uh, Lee came and played the second time we played at Riffs, which I think was, I guess, was the acoustic gig. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and it was his, yeah. the night before his wedding. Awesome. So after midnight, he's getting up and playing drums yeah. with us. So you're getting, you're getting married tomorrow. What are you doing here? And then having plenty of beers, and he's playing drums with us on the on his own wedding day, which I think is a a, a crazy thing. And then uh, subsequently, it's another gig. Actually, that was Fuzzy Warbler's um, Kai Chambers, and uh, his sister came to the gig. Uh, and uh, so I think you know, and there was a phase where I was uh, Joe Molding called me Tribute Dad. Because <laughs> you've just kind of been around and you've seen them over the years. I mean, uh... Little moments like that that I just I forget about, like when Lee Moulding comes up and plays drums with us and you just go, oh, my God, that was absolutely awesome, wasn't it? It was amazing. But, I'm, but I mean, going back to the complexity of music and, and the constraints, I'm very proud that we only ever had four of us on stage at any time, that we live within the straits. And you see... Some of these American tributes, and they'll have like 12 people on the stage, you know, with mass people just concentrating on doing the harmonies right. And they're not trying to fight with a guitar pedal and get the right sound whilst bellowing at somebody and, and trying to do So I think we did, to do all that as a four piece, I think was, was always very special. At which point, I'd, I'd, if I could just interject and just sort of highlight um, Mick, actually, and his contribution, because... 
between me warbling around and us trying to find our right notes and everything, uh, and you've got this, this. What Mick did was, I think he added really authenticity because he would get the right guitar t- tone. He'd really work. You know, he got the he got the twelve string, the Rickenbacker, and spent time on the tuning and all that. And you know, if there was anything going to go wrong, for instance, if I was going to forget a line or you know I wasn't sure what harmony I was going for. Mick would be there. He would just jump in and keep us going. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for that and, and well done. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, proper musician. Uh, sorry? Yeah. Proper musician. Proper musician. Mick, <laughs> 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 you, you were just saying before we started that you were a limelight reader, so, you, you know, a, a long history of, 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 of fandom and, and, you know, nearly got to see the band and everything. And, and you know, that could – you could have the reverse uh, – fear because because this stuff is is complicated and you love it and you want to do it as as much justice as possible it could be just like oh i'm going to keep off that stuff because it's not you know xdc music is notoriously uh complicated and not straightforward to play there, there was there was yeah yes and no um you're, you're absolutely right um it is I, I think one of our flyers we described it as four blokes and some difficult chords <laughs> um and it, it was it, i mean obviously that's the reason i got dragged into it when i was 16 you know it was like oh, yeah, this band are really interesting it's not like playing Beatles songs you know there's some weird stuff going on in here i really like it and that was what drew me into liking the band in the first place um so when i started to learn how to play some of the songs long before you know the ecstatic thing you know it was really cool I, I used to you know play along to black sea and go that's really interesting how are those chords being made and i think part of the the guitar player i i was i was you know in my as, as a young man um was mainly because i used to play along with xcc songs and do things that are a bit stranger than i say them than your average Beatles song um, so it, it wasn't that fearful when it came to learning, relearning the stuff for ecstatic. Um, I, you know, half of it I kind of knew in my head anyway, and the other stuff I, uh, I didn't know. I didn't. I couldn't figure out how to play all the arpeggios on since he's working overtime. Remember, so I sent Dave Gregory an email once, right? And I went, look, I'm, I'm really sorry about this. Yeah, I swear to cut into your day, but how on earth does that work? And and he he um very politely answered. He very politely said, "Well, that bit is really complicated. And it'd be really hard to explain it, but I won't. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll explain how the other bit goes." And he explained how the bit in the verse went. I thought that was really kind. Thank you so much. Um, so there were bits of it I know I never got right. And you know there was lo- there was loads of stuff that we were kind of we, Dan and I knew we weren't going to get right, but. We approximations. Knew we, close, we made close approximations. Yes, um, and well, I think that was that was the joy of it. Yeah. Well, I was listening to the uh, what, what do you call that noise podcast with Andy Partridge actually, and he's he has a guitar with him, didn't he? And he was picking up and he was playing these things, these, these things he could remember, like he played a bit of Rhodes uh, Girdle the Globe. I listened to what he's playing, going, yeah, we didn't do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was completely different. But we just had to, it was best guess, wasn't it? We listened to it, we used some shapes on the guitar on the fretboard, so we just um, did the very best we could. And I think it was it was really good, particularly the way that you and uh, that Dan and, and Mick used, used clashing chords and things together. And that, you know, it's all that music, the cordage thing sounds, you know, so much more authentic than than uh, what I've, that I've done subsequently, which is I, I play fairly straight chords, but I'm trying to make sure I've got somebody talented um, who can do that, the nuance, some newest ones. Over the top of that, and, uh, and just keep doing it and wait for somebody better and younger to come along. And I still hope <laughs> I really want to see a really good XTC tribute band come along 
of, of people in their 20s so I can go along and watch these things because it, you know, it should be being done. It should be somebody else should be picking that stuff up and, make, and making it happen. I, I'd yeah. be interested to hear about the songs that caused you problems. What, what, what were the difficult ones? All of them. <laughs> so there, there, there were some casualties along the way that never made it. Um, I'm struggling to remember which ones. There were definitely some non-such songs. We we tried them and went, no, let's just not go uh, there. I, I would normally force them on you and drag you and be going, saying, well, we're only going to do helicopter if we can do the loving. And I could sense, I could sense, I could sense the energy level drop in the the room as soon as I suggested these things. But then then we play then we play them and goddamn it, you'd be right because it would sound fucking horrible. I do like those songs as well. But I do remember. I think. I think we tried the disappointed, and I remember thinking this really isn't going to work. I can't remember. We did, did we ever do it? We did it once. We yeah, did, yeah. We, we did. Yeah. I listened um, to it the other night. It's and... not great. <laughs> yeah. And then Ed, um... Ed goes. Oh, it's so funny. Ed goes. Well, that's the first thing we ever rehearsed together, and that's the best we can do. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, we were like consistently um, out of tune on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what else didn't make the cut that we would have tried? Oh, I remember one. I remember. I remember. I remember one. I, I really desperately wanted to do Rain of Blows, and I tried. I tried to push you guys down that road. We never and it did ne- it. Never got there. Yeah. I, um, I never, never liked the song. I've, frankly, I've, I still can't get on with uh, Roads Go to All the Globe, and then to to recognise that we did play it, I'm thinking, I'm good, really. And, 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 and I, think, I thought that was good, and I, but I, but I, but I was kind of it doesn't. It's like it's like the song, but the I'm amazed at the things that we did play, and I'd forgotten doing. I did remember doing Neon Shuffle at the at the final gig, but I hadn't realised we'd done it loads of times before, and it's just kind of completely passed me by. Perhaps it was one I wasn't having to really concentrate on. Where does it go now? Yeah, because you know, it's not as a bass player or anything else. I'm just. Going, oh, where does this go now? And Moulding's bass lines are not simple to follow. No. I mean, Dan Dan played the co- complicated, you know, Mayor of Simpleton type things, but just a good voyage of discovery every gig. We, uh, I really enjoyed, like, when, when we bring something out, like, um, Then She Appeared, you know, which you wouldn't usually think of doing. And I, had, I did have fun with those. You know, I quite enjoyed trying to work out how these post gigging post-touring XTC songs that were literally just made for album you know it was it was done in the studio so how are we going to go and do that with like you say four guys and their instruments we had quite a struggle over Sergeant Rock I remember is that right I think Ed really wanted it and we didn't or something well, I, 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 think I, I think I had to fight for, for censors and for Nigel I think you were all like oh we don't <laughs> no, need to do those things we don't need to Dear God was another one. Play the hits. Play the hits. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, Dear God, I think, because we did it on gig one and then that that was it, wasn't it? Uh, We did it at the acoustic, I think. Oh, we might have done, yeah, but because it's acoustic, yeah. Then what about that? I mean, the, the, the... I mean, how ambitious were we? We well, it's probably it's probably my stupid ambition actually. I go, oh, let's go to Swindon, but let's do two nights. The first night will be an acoustic night, and the next night will be full on electric. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I don't know what the, the count of songs. It must be about forty. I mean, oh, the, the last the last gig was like Bruce Springsteen. It's like three and a half hours. Of <laughs> it's, a, it's a joyous marathon. It's a joyous marathon that last. With the, including River of Orchids. Now River of Orchids. Yeah. Is, we, we, how on earth do you do that as a forties band? And we ended up with somebody suggested jokingly, "Well, let's do it as a country and western number." And we end up doing this as a three parts 
audience sing-along thing, and it worked brilliantly. It was amazing, that, that. Trying to do open the gig with every opening song of every album in order. Now, see, that's another one, right? I mean, how I just how mad is this? We started. We'll do our, you know, our, our our big furnace gig, and we decide to do the first song off every album, which means that the second song is Nigel. So you're thinking, third, third, third song is Nigel. Third song. Third song. So the third song's Nigel. Sorry, uh, and you'd be thinking as an audience member, if you're not clued into what we're doing, they're going, "Well, they brought that one out a bit early," <laughs> and we're going, "So we worked out what we're doing yet." <laughs> some of them had, and some, some had. and some people, some people had, some people had got it by about song four, and they were calling out the next song, which was kind of cool. Um, I get back to the riffs, the double nighter thing. Um, I mean, I did loads of fun memories of this whole thing. But that acoustic gig, once again, for me, I've got loads of fun memories, like music, musically fond memories of that. Because taking some of those songs and doing them on acoustic guitars was like, oh, that's so cool. And you just mentioned Rhodes Girdle the Globe, and we did that acoustically. You know, it, it really brought out the richness of all those kind of weird chords and everything. And I think it, there, was, there was something really nice about doing that. I, I think we should have done that more. I, I'd like to have done another one of those. idea in my head was it was going to be like the acoustic night was like the b-sides night it was like for the pure fan you know we're going to bring out some fuzzy warbles and stuff like that i didn't realize to my absolute horror i didn't realize until we'd done the acoustic gig that we hadn't included a single colin molding song and i know oh, we had no we hadn't no but we, they turned up <laughs> until until we did the encore and i think we did nigel as an encore but actually the set list when i looked at the set list i realized all andy partridge songs and i felt so bad i actually wrote to colin and apologized to him <laughs> Well, and and and, and uh, Lee and uh, Carol, you know, mother and uh, sorry, wife and son and daughter yeah. are in the crowd. In the crowd, yeah, yeah. Well done, Dan. Well done. Well played. The first thing I did after Ecstatic broke up was a a set of ACDC stuff because a friend of ours was emigrating to New Zealand and he wanted to do wanted to play a farewell gig. Um, and we threw together. We, we picked ACDC because you could throw it together easily, and. That takes me back to something that Paul Putner, I think, was saying in the last podcast about how complex XTC stuff was. You couldn't bluff it. The AC, that, that was the contrast, I felt. ACDC, you could bluff it easily, but getting it absolutely right was an accumulation of fine details. And you really notice the individual ones that stand out because the songs are fairly minimal. So, you know, one snare hit in the wrong place stands out. But... You know, you could bluff it, but it did take fine tuning. But XTC, as a contrast, every song you were building from the ground up, because even when the songs were relatively straightforward, not that hard to play, you couldn't necessarily bluff them because the cues that led from verse to chorus or to middle eight weren't necessarily there or weren't necessarily where you'd expect them to be. I would, uh, I always remember trying to count in on uh, Wake Up. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, but when you when you did land when you stuck the landing Ed, it was fantastic. When we <laughs> it was got I remember when we nailed it, like yes And unfortunately it was the Dublin Castle gig after the video had run out, so we don't have it on video. Oh no. It was the same same one where Dan blacked out and we also don't have that on video. It was only much later learning to play it on the guitar. But I finally work out what the timing of the song is. So singing and playing guitar, you go, oh, that's what's happening. Now I can't miss it. Now I'm just going mad, I'll face there. No, it's there. Come on. Get it, get through, get through with it. Yeah. No, we, we, there's a really good audio of that on Victoria gig. Yes. Um, of wake up and it just that that that's that that might be one of our finer moments i think that's it's mm. it's got a, uh, just i just got a tiny little memory at the end where i i, I twanged a string on the very very last chord and it was this kind of there was a real sense where i was enjoying myself so much of that kind of jank 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 and the very like jank 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 twang <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a bit like that. Yeah, um, I can't remember. It might have been the might have been the Victoria. We started off with something relatively slow, and then the next four tracks were from the first three albums. Science fiction. <laughs> yeah, I think it was about nine nine tracks in before I got a chance to breathe. That was a killer for you, that wasn't it? Science fiction is one looking back. It really bothers me how I did it because you know that. You know, when it stops and there's those fill-ins. Yeah, because <laughs> I realised it... I, I knew I was never getting the timing right and it felt like I was trying to get it faster each time. It's only looking back at the tape, I think, oh, they sound wrong because I was playing those fill-ins too fast. <laughs> I think Outside World was the first song at the, at the Victoria gig. Oh, God, yeah, that was a killer. That was great. What, what about the reverse of my question about the difficult songs? What were the songs that were a joy to play that you really, you know, that you could just, you know, have great fun on stage That's a with? massive question, isn't it? I mean, Towers of London was always fantastic. I, I think they got, by the time they got to stage, they were all fun. Yeah, I said Statue of Liberty and Mechanic Dancing were always an absolute blast to play through. Um, but pacing it down, no language in our lungs because just feeling the space in it, it was so powerful. And, th- and that moment where we got to, I would have made this instrumental, but the words got words in the way, in we, the way. And we just dropped out. We left that bit out. We let the crowd do that bit. I was really impressed with that idea. <laughs> well, Dan was a great one for let's introduce a gap here and let's let's pause. <laughs> the, the, let's do statues at this point. Oh, do the statues in statues. Snowman. Did a statue. Then, right, we're all going to freeze. Right, gonna and, freeze. And, I, and I completely forget. <laughs> Three of you is going to be able to stop. And I, I'm wandering around like the bloke at the end of it. Police Academy. You go, oh, I know, I've got this wrong. You know. This. Yeah, but at, at the Dublin Castle gig, you and, da- you and Dan both got it right, and it was Mick who didn't freeze because he was adjusting something on his pedal. <laughs> uh, I think I just forgot. Yeah. Um, I'd love to yeah. make that gap longer and longer, though. So I want to make it almost uncomfortably long for us just frozen there. <laughs> You know, 
It's just, how long can I keep this going? Now, and let's let the audience fill the gap with their sort of confusion, laughter, and then applause. You know, that was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> but then you did, I think, probably all of you in, in the things that you've written on the Ecstatic website talk about that amazing rush of 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 love i suppose when when the crowd does join in i mean those 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 are fantastic moments in any gig i suppose but there were the, i'd imagine there was such love in the ecstatic gigs it, the audience reaction was just incredible and it really really strong and it got bigger and better we yeah, i think fairly early on we'd say well we'll just do one, one more gig or well, that's that gig was so perfect we can't possibly get back to it and go actually just can we do just, <laughs> one more, just a little bit more I, I was in, I was in the next season tribute and I, and I can deal with it. Just <laughs> one more, just one more, just one more, one more hit. And because it, just, because you wanted that that the absolutely involving because you're inside the music. You're both a fan performing it, but you're a fan enjoying it, and everybody is loving it. And it's a and it's a cerebral thing, and it attracts really nice, interesting, and interested people. And it, and it's it's just glorious to be inside of that 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 bubble. I thought it was really nice at the podcast with, with the comedians when um, I think it was Stuart Lee who said, you know, you, you think you're one person, you know, and actually you're part of a bigger thing. And I think that was something about what I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that we could do. We could get all these people in a room and play these songs that outside the room, no one would know or care. But inside the room, the love, you know, was just overwhelming. Are you sort of guaranteed that in a in a fan convention anyway, or do you still have to kind of earn that because they they may be actually more critical than a, a casual audience might be? But these kind of were remember we weren't playing fan conventions. We were publicising a gig, and then you know they would just turn up. I mean, and you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I agree with everything I said before. But there's that sense of you know people would come a long way for this, so they were. Pre- prepared to you know join you know to you know to come and feel that love as well from you know with a lot of effort you know I mean across continents um and yeah I I, you certainly I certainly felt um as if the people who were there really kind of it's it says no I don't be self-aggrandizing but self-aggrandizing but um yeah they 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 really appreciated the fact that someone was doing this and I remember feeling, you know, no, no, please don't thank me. I'm having some fun. And people going, oh, but we love that you're doing this. I go, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, honestly, it's, it's just fun on our side as well. Um, but, yeah, they seemed really appreciative of the whole thing. And see, there was, there was this feedback loop going on of us going, we love you guys being here. And they're going, we love you doing this and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's great. That really yeah. struck me at TCI gig, uh, TC and I gig, uh, finding Japanese fans there who've come halfway around the world. And at the convention as well, right enough, yeah. Yeah, a huge way, particularly when you've got quite small venues that you're talking about, like 120-seater or whatever it might be, and you've got people who who next door don't know what's going on, but in Japan or, you know, California or whatever it might be, they think it's the most important uh, day of the year. Well, we had, to, I mean, Dave, a guy called Dave, Dave Lake from Chicago. Dave, the unfeasibly tall American. Yes, he used to fly over for the gigs. Uh, and we had Oris and Offer who came over from, from Israel. They would regularly, regularly appear at these things. We had people from Australia. I wasn't sure we ever had anybody from Japan the gigs, but regularly Europe and things. And you say, well, this is incredible. Uh, and as I think Lee Mulgan claimed that his dad said, that his, his, his dad said, he thinks you're all mad because he wouldn't go to as far as Bristol for a gig. You know, and uh, and that people would fly from all over the place to come and see this thing was was just amazing. 
I mean, I've you know, played in a Slade tribute band. They'll, they'll come 100 yards, but they won't get <laughs> on a bus. Yeah, um, there was this thing, the fact that they were on the forum. To, to begin with, it was a case of them coming coming together as much as coming to see mm. us or ha- having an excuse to come together. Yeah, so they were glad to see us anyway, but then we had to take it a level up. <laughs> so it was a challenge, they but it was very much appreciated. Were, we, we were the enablers, I guess, yes, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they, you know, they were a group, you know, they were a group, a big group of people that wanted to see each other anyway. We were just a good, you know, a, a convenient peg to hang that on. But yeah. Well, I, I was I was very proud um, listening to the Stuart Lee thing that he called us great uh, ambassadors for the band, and I felt very proud at that moment of, uh, you know, we did something good. It was astonishing that they actually remember us that fondly after fifteen years. I'm stunned. Well, I, there's still people who come up to me. That was the best gig that I ever saw, and I go, "Well, that's incredible." You know, thank you for saying that. Oh yeah. You know, I I I I I went to see Stuart Lee last year in Brighton, and uh, he was at the table afterwards doing signing, and I was good. I was tempted to sort of go. Hello. <laughs> but I thought, no, it's, it's all too long ago and who cares? You know, so I just left the whole thing. <laughs> I, I, I did. I went to see him after a gig when he was in doing a stand up in London and I did go and talk to him and tell him about it. I said, yeah, I was the guy oh, from you? the ecstatic and he was really, yeah, he was really friendly. He told me that story about when Andy Partridge called him from over the road. And I just, I was listening to him telling me the story. I said, this is weird because this is my, one of my heroes talking about meeting one of my other heroes. It's some kind of weird sort of space-time continuing thing. Um, uh, yeah, no, I thought it was really nice, that, though, that, that hearing him sort of all those memories that um, the, the comedians were, were, were bringing up actually took me right back. I'm, I'm picking up on what uh, Ed said a little bit earlier about wanting to see other people do live versions of XTC songs so that you could appreciate it from the other side of the stage. And... Uh, in fact, it's it's appropriate because the very the reason, in fact, this podcast exists was because of a covers album, Garden of Earthly Del- Delights, which gave me the idea to try a podcast, and then one thing led to another, and here we are. Um, and uh, David and, and I would uh, uh, and Mark Reed were talking about these covers in in the the, the the various people on this American record label had done. And one of the things I like about covers is even sometimes a, a, a cover that on the surface is not good, can reveal things about a song that, that you hadn't heard before because it's, it's like you're hearing a song through somebody else's ears. And I wonder whether that's true of you, whether you're interested in, in, in hearing other people's versions and interpretations and, 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 and or whether you're, you know, because your legitimate answer could be, no, I just like playing it myself and I'm not at all interested in anybody else's version. There's a thing actually in Transistor Blast where Andy... Or- Andy or Colin says every time we were recording something, somewhere along the line, someone would, uh, for the for the radio session, someone would always say, "Why didn't we do it that way on the record?" So, so the fact that we have the freedom to play around with things, maybe that that, that maybe that they didn't, and it'd be fascinating to see what other people came up with as well. That that they wouldn't be hearing it quite the same way we would. I was uh, we uh, in the most recent sort of. Was it the most recent sort of gathering, which was which we did as the Foster Falls in in Swindon, just in a little sort of uh, uh, pub on the edge of, pub on the edge of town, and there were um, four different XQC sort of tribute bands gathering. So I think Mark Mark was at that one, uh, and the, this bunch of guys came over from America, all of whom had their uh, it was Todd Bernhardt who co-wrote the complicated game, but he was playing the drums. And John Ralph, who booked it, did the Chalk Hill site, and um, uh, uh, Jefferson and and 
I'll remember his name in a moment because he's the one uh, <laughs> the best out of the lot. Anyway, they came over this and they'd done a bit of rehearsal. My God, they came up and just blew the roof off with playing obscure songs brilliantly and they were all sort of properly on the note and everything else. And I thought, fucking hell, the Americans are in town. They're going to destroy it for the rest of us. And it just... There, there's a huge amount of envy. I say I want to see an XTC troupe with Van Pelt be just acutely jealous of anybody getting getting a share of it. Jefferson Ogata and... Uh... Not Keith Herring. Keith, no, it's Keith Keith Dowling. Keith, Keith Dowling, that's who, it. Who, who, who is a bit like Mick and he's, he's got all those nuances of things and mm. he was borrowing my guitar and my effects pedal so he bought he bought the same effects pedal so he could practice precisely what he wanted to do with all the things before he got there. And I think that, that kind of eye for detail is amazing. And if, if I'm right, Mick has just got down his collection of, of I think, are they Chalk Hills Children um, compilation uh, tapes, tribute tapes that came out in the... 1996, uh, 1998. I don't remember anything. I, there's one track I do remember of all these things, uh, which you, I'll, I'll try to remember the name. It was, it was John Ralph. They did a bluegrass version of... Complicated uh, Game. No, 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 of Crocodile. Crocodile? Yeah. Uh, absolutely rocks. It might it might be on one of those tapes. It might be on something else. I can't remember. Uh, him and two other guys. Uh, and they, yeah, it's just really good. Yeah, I mean, I think what well, you know, way back when, I was always interested in um, in you know what other people were doing with XTC songs. That was kind of interesting and fun. Ah, you know, it's a long time ago now. Uh, <laughs> Been there, yeah, done that. Yeah. I was going to say earlier. I, I forgot. I, I, I was yeah. trying to remember what I was going to say. Now I just remembered. Did, did, who went to TC and I? Because I know Ed, Ed, you went a few times. Didn't I you? was lucky enough to go to. Um, I had tickets for three nights, uh, and then I ended up having an operation when I couldn't get to the first one. But then I got a call. It was a call from they were doing a warm up gig at the at the uh, at the Vic, so a place that we played, and, and it's just a we. So I got to, to go along to a warm up gig, which was just uh, like the Molding family and a few few friends in there. And that was fabulous. And and never having met Colin or or Terry, they were just nice and warm and friendly and chatting and they were chatting and natter with it and watch all this stuff up close and personal before they did the thing and have a good old natter. Um, so that by the time I went to see the TCNI gigs, which is always the same um, set list, but you're seeing it with a much bigger audience. But actually, the, it's it was just to to see those songs played and sung uh, up front uh, was just yeah. just such a fabulous experience. And the, and the atmosphere of those gigs was, I suppose, it's, it's the closest thing is the is uh, is is to what we had with Ecstatic. Though we did. With our furnace gig, we played to a bigger audience than the individual gigs of the TCR. Did T did TC and I play any XTC stuff? They must have they done. Play, they, they played uh, all, all XTC stuff, and they did one oh. partridge song. They, 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 they did songs on the EP, and then the rest of it was all all moulding XT, um, XTC. Oh right! Oh, I, I thought you I thought you had a whole bunch of new material. No, no, there's just a few. But you should get the album because it's, there's some really nice okay. versions on it. And sadly, that about half the set didn't go onto the album. Because of various recording things, but they were 
really nice songs and some things that nicely you handled really very well handled very well. i mean things and things that you absolutely hated like war dance and uh yeah what the other things you just oh my god and you play it without the sort of uh whatever it, the, the the synthesized clarinet on it clarinet. it becomes like a lovely job wonderland as well just a song I've yeah sort of, you see that well, I, that's a song that i've struggled with until he played it and i sort of got it you know I went to that TCNI gig uh, on my own. I was thought, oh, I'm gonna, it's going to go. I was really nervous about going because I don't know, just going to a, like a gig on your own and not knowing if you're going to know anyone. And it was really, it was double joyful for me because first of all, I got to see, you know, one of my heroes playing all these fantastic songs. But also a lot of people coming up to me and talking about Ecstatic and what we did was truly very, very moving. A very joyful experience. Uh, it was fabulous, fabulous. Well, in fact, my, I think the... Uh, the ticket that I had left over for the gig that I couldn't get to, uh, Mike Stone, who led the Fuzzy Warblers, took, took the ticket off, took it off me, and he gave it to uh, Andy's ex-wife. But it was a terrific atmosphere to go along to those things. And I, I also went to the one of the warm-up gigs for XTC. So that's sort of taking it kind of once it once it further. Yes, I've still got my unused ticket from the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh for the gig that never happened. We're still holding tickets. I've got I've got one last question, which is um, Ed. I noticed on the Ecstatic website that you said that there was a plan to edit together the middle sections of each of the songs on Big Express for possibly the greatest middle eight in history. <laughs> I'm just wondering, all the things that all the things that Ecstatic did. That's a brilliant idea. Do. Almost Dirty Dan's idea, I, I, and I, I, no, I, I'm claiming uh, that. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. claiming that. that. That was that was one of that was sure that was my idea. Um, because they were, they are the middle eight kings. There's no question. Um, you know, you throw away the rest of the song, just bolt all those bits together. And yeah, you have some great. I think that's stuff. brilliant. <laughs> but would you would you have a verse to begin with and a verse at the end so that they are actually truly in the middle of, of oh, something? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you would need to do that to maintain their integrity, yeah. Um, oh, give me half an hour then, hang know. on. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, this is this is Barrow territory now. Yeah. Oh, yes. Dan, Dan will come along and play all the parts on it, and it will come back. This is how it goes. You did that with uh, of, uh, was it uh, Beating of Hearts? You had this a wonderful cover version that you recorded of all that stuff, and it, it came back, and then you said, "Well, this is how we're playing it." And it, that's probably how it felt being the rest of XTC when uh, when in, with Partridge in his later years. But I mean, we just looking back with such pride of uh, of the gigs with it and. You know, uh, sh- sh- shrinking in some ways, feeling realizing what an arse you've been yourself in the interactions between the band. Because you know, we had, we did it for the for the gigs and those those were experiences. But you know, frankly, six hours into an eight-hour rehearsal session in a windowless room in Acton, <laughs> I have I, I've rarely experienced such lows in my life. Fucking <laughs> hell, is there not any single note at this point that I can play that won't just get people bruising out of it? Well, sorry, eh? <laughs> Dan, the um, story started with you. It also, I think, finishes with you that this was a project that was that was completed. You you didn't you didn't want to go on forever and, and you didn't go on forever. Did it... Uh, how oh, did I found it that I was um, going slightly mad. Um, I was I just trained to be a, a, a music teacher, a school teacher, and I had a young child. And I was, you know, so obsessed with Andy Partridge and trying to get all these mannerisms down and everything that I started to take over to an extent. Um, and I don't know if I don't know when I sort of made the decision in my mind, but I I do remember that I did say to myself that once I'd, you know, when I was driving down the M4 and had that idea, 
about putting this band together. I had this idea that I would take this band that didn't exist to Swindon, sell out a venue, and then dramatically break up the band on stage. That was my, that was my stupid idea from the very beginning. And that's exactly what happened. We got to the last, um, the last encore of three encores, I think, at the Furnace. We've been playing for over three hours. And just before we launch into our final uh, Mayor of Simpleton, I sort of go, well, everyone, this is our last gig and it's been amazing and thank you very much. Ecstatic out kind of thing. Thanks very much. It's ecstatic starting off. Your Ziggy Stardust moment. Yeah. It just felt, I don't know what it was. At the time, it just felt right that it was time for me to to stop doing it. I think because it was just taking over my life and teaching in a school is 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 hard work enough to be honest but you know we we had you know we had discussed this before you know we we, we knew this was going to be the last one um once again it's it, it's, it's been a long time so memories are going to be a bit kind of weird but my my recollection was that um i know the way i felt and i'm pretty sure we we all felt the same way correct me if i'm wrong guys uh but you know it's like yeah we've climbed that mountain now we've proved that point you know, originally the idea was, I bet we can't do, I bet we can do one gig, you know, and we, and we did the hope and that was great. And then it was like, that was fun. Let's do some more of that. Uh, and by the time we'd reached, uh, you know, the furnace and that big gig at the end with the, the um, in the middle of the convention, you know, I think there was nowhere else to go. There was nowhere you could take that without just endlessly repeating oneself. And that was my, I know, remember that was my internal feeling that I don't particularly want to just keep churning this stuff out. That was done. We've, we, we've, we've done that. We've proved it could be done. Uh, we've had a great time. People have loved this, but let's, there's not, and yeah, we did it there's well. no point in just, you know, every year getting together and doing it again. It, they, 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 it felt, it, it felt like the project was finished uh, for me anyway. I don't, I don't know what the correct geographical metaphor is is for, for, for Ed, who having, having climbed that mountain with you, decided there were more mountains to be climbed. And, uh... Well, yeah, I mean, it felt differently, clearly. Please. Well, it's, yeah. no, it was, it was the, it's the adrenaline drug. It's that, that you know, if you, it depends on how shallow your ego is, how much you need to have other people tell you how wonderful you are if you're not getting it in, in the rest of the stuff of the, or your career at the time. And I did, I got involved with... The, the Fuzzy Warblers who played the other night at the convention where we did the last, last gig and then we did a gig a couple of years after the, the Furnace gig and, uh, and in fact Holly Partridge's band, the She Beats, uh, played along with us at, at, at that gig um, and it was, um, it was just frankly not very good because it was the, the band had none, none of the musicality or the tightness or the expertise that we'd had in the ecstatic, so I thought, oh, well, no, I'm now blown it because I've done it really badly, and then went back, and then the fossil falls. Uh, Terry from the, the drummer from um, the Fuzzy Warblers, and we, we went along and we did it a bit more, and we just keep doing it, and then we stopped doing it for about ten years, and then we come back and doing it, and and then you get a new member coming in, they all just well, just do one more, and so I'm a little bit in that cycle uh, of of always want to go back to it but he's part of me saying oh no, no I'm not going to do this anymore this I really got to stop and I'm si- I'm 60 now so I'm now I'm the old guy I think, I think Dan is still 28 because it says it on the website <laughs> so he's not allowed to get old <laughs> but it's just like, well, you know I really do genuinely want four young guys to do this and, and and just excite us all because somebody needs to keep that that momentum going somebody needs to to take that flame and run with it and and there must be lots of young musicians out there that can do that. And 
they, they can do it who want to do this stuff again and they will pick up different songs and different things and do it in their different ways but i'd just i'd just love to see that well we'll leave that challenge out there but in the meantime i and i'm sure david is a, a, we're both very happy to say how marvelous you all are <laughs> and give you a little bit more um ego uh, boost um but thank you very much for dan barrow ed percival adrian ogden and mick casey for joining us on a splendid and fascinating and and musical episode of what do you call that noise the xdc podcast thank you very much thanks, for joining mark. us thank you mark david that's very kind thanks, of you guys yes thanks guys lovely to have thank seen you. you all again what do you call that noise so about the reunion here <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> well that was good uh, thank you in particular to the following knights in shining karma for supporting this podcast Matt anderson terry arnett kevin burt liam duggan jamie dunn Helen Fay, Leslie Gooch, Robert Graham, Robert Lawlaw, Dennis Lacoria, Liz Lynch, Karen Neal, Amy Parkinson, Murray Meikle, Kevin Murray, James Newell, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slatehome, Michael Sutcliffe, Nigel Waller and William Wilkstrom. If you'd like to support the XDC podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. And I'd really appreciate your support. Thanks very much. Head to xdclimelight.com where you can buy my two XTC books. First, there's the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, which is an anthology of Limelight, the XTC fanzine I made from 1982 to 1992. We had a couple of lifelines to the world and, and Limelight was one of them. So the book is the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls. It's stunning. It features new interviews with XTC members, including Dave Gregory. So I just took a deep breath and thought to myself, well, I wonder how long this is going to last. I'm going to enjoy it as long as I'm here. Colin Moulding. That mixture of bittersweet is more powerful than all one flavour. Terry Chambers. We enjoy each other's company as much as sort of playing. And Andy Partridge. So how did I go from being an illiterate <laughs> peasant to being a well-read peasant? It's a big... Thing and you can hold it and you can pick it up and you can open a page and go, oh, right, here we go. We've got some uh, some letters. You know, it's just a delicious thing to dive in and out of. Thank you, Ian Lee. And then there's What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC discovery book, where you'll find more from the band, plus commentary from musicians, including Anton Barbo. For me, it's just simply a life-changing song. And McHugh. It's like a painting by Van Gogh. Jason Faulkner. XTC probably made the most impact on me of, of any band that I can think of. Chris Butler. If there's anything more classic XTC, e -E -E -E, this is it. And Rick Butler. It was well produced as well. It, it had the support of a great producer. I mean, it really sounded strong. Order your copies of both books at xtclimelight.com. It's a paper and ink net. It's the internet with, with added staples.